0: Well, when you connect with human souls, readers turn into fans and friends, and that's when consistent income begins. That and so much more. But how do writers connect with readers? That is the question this podcast aims to answer. My name is Kristen Spencer, and this is the Expensive Words Podcast. Welcome to the first episode of the Expensive Words Podcast. My name is Kristen, like the intro says. And I am your host, and today what I wanted to do, since it is the very first episode, is talk about how I got the idea for this podcast. And If you are part of any fandom, you know that fans really love origin stories, so I thought what better way to share my geekiness, um, my nerdiness, my passion with you than to tell you the origin story of this podcast. Um, So I've been writing for (laughs) over 10 years full time, but uh, part of that was blogging. So I don't know if that really counts. I don't feel like it matters if it really counts. But um, I will say that I have been learning how to write for a huge chunk of my life. I'm 36 years old. And I've just now realized that in all of the suffering that I've personally experienced, it's made my writing better. It's made any kind of art I create better. And when you use that experience of being sad, feeling angry, um, being full with grief to where you can't move, and you put those things in your art, and your writing specifically, it, it changes the depth, and it doesn't just change your experience in creating art, but it changes the experience of the people who are receiving that art. And in this case, that would be The Amazing Reader. And if you are not a writer... But you're a reader and you're listening to this show. I want to say welcome. You're in for a treat if you care about stories at all. You're going to become a kindred spirit with me and if you don't know what that means, you should go look it up because it's it's a book reference. Um so today I the first thing that I have on my list to talk about is Judy Bloom. And if you don't know who Judy Bloom is, She's really well-known for her books about adolescence, and also she's a champion against censorship in written works, which I love that about her. Um, But Judy Blume also happens to be the author of Tiger Eyes, which is a book that I read for 7th grade English, and I remember thinking, this is something that's really hard to write because... It's really hard to read. And uh, last year, my mother-in-law, who is also a writer, she gifted me a Masterclass subscription for a year. And Judy Bloom has a Masterclass. And in that Masterclass, I'm sure you can hear the elation in my voice, but she talked about Tiger Eyes. And when she talked about Tiger Eyes, she started crying and she was talking about how in the book the protagonist has lost her father that's not a spoiler that happens right away in the book and judy shared that later on when she was rereading it she realized that she had used writing that book to deal with the, the fact that her own father had died and there was all these emotions that she didn't really know she was expressing in the written word but they came out and you know, she started crying and I'm sitting on my couch watching the master class reminiscing about being um, a 12-year-old girl and all those complex emotions that I felt from her and the characters that made me cry. And she's crying for the characters and I'm crying for the characters. But also, you know, I'm crying for her because she, she's on there and she's talking about this book that is really special to me and it's really special to her. And she says, you know, she starts crying and she says, it's sad. And now I'm crying right now telling you about this. And, you know, it's like a whole circle of emotion, but don't those moments mean just a little bit more to us when we're sad or we feel that joy, that doesn't come so easily and isn't always, it doesn't always feel like it's there. Or when we have like those moments of success, or we have those, those moments of falling on our faces and failure, those moments stand out in our minds. And when we write, or we make screenplays, or we make teleplays, or we paint, or we draw, or sculpt, whatever else, When we put those emotions into our art, into the the one thing that we were made to do, it means more. And my argument from this point forward is that when you use real things that matter to you, they matter to other people. And you're going to make fans that way. You're going to create relationships that way with readers and that is the thing that we want isn't it when you spend yourself that way and you put these real experiences out there you're going to affect people's lives and I think that's the real reason to create Uh, in the introduction you heard me say that money can't read and money can't read And, and I am a firm believer of that I never want to write books for money now that I'm older and I'll be nice to myself and say wiser, but I've learned that you cannot write for money because you have to write for a person. You have to write for another soul. And that's um, one of the big themes in this show is that we want stories that have soul. And I want stories that have soul. And I am the kind of person who wants to write to change the world. And when I first admitted that to myself a few months ago, I thought, oh, that's dumb. Have you ever done that where you're like, that, that's too big. I can't. I'm not going to. No, no, I I don't think that I should admit that to anyone including myself, but that's the truth. And I think that's probably one of the reasons that so far in my writing career I failed because, um, and let me quantify what I mean by fail. I mean, I haven't found a readership yet because I I wanted to write to bring things to people's attention who I thought they wanted to know these things. And so for a long time, I was writing Christian fiction books. And I am officially retired from writing any kind of Christian fiction because I realized that the readers didn't want me. And maybe that sounds harsh. And maybe that sounds like something that could break me. But honestly, it gave me a huge amount of freedom in realizing that the books that I'm writing right now don't have a customer. And that means that they can't do their thing. And that means that Maybe I should write other books. But what I want to say to you is don't give up on writing books that will change the world because it's not just some abstract person out there that you're writing for. You know, I, like I said, I'm 36 and I've been through a lot of personal growth, and a lot of that growth came from reading stories that put me in the place that I could never be. Stories about race, stories about gender oppression, stories about like actual war, actual sacrifices that challenged my way of thinking so that I could burst out of my nationalistic American bubble and realize, hey, you know... I I am in a privileged group. Uh, I do need to change the way I think. I do need to learn to be more empathetic to people who are going through difficulties I can't imagine. And so what I would tell you, my lovely listener, and I hope you feel like we're friends by now because I do, I would tell you don't Don't resist writing those kinds of stories. And we're going to talk about the difference between preaching at your reader and sharing with your reader. But I would say don't stop writing because there are stories that people haven't written yet that I need to read because I need to change more and I'm willing to change and I'm not the only one. And for past Kristen, what I would say to her is, Your heart is in the right place, but the audience doesn't want you, and that's okay. That's okay right now. They don't want you, but the stories that you want to tell because of the people that you've seen and what they've gone through and what you've gone through, those stories are still important and they're still valid, and I would challenge you to listen to what I'm (laughs) telling younger Kristen. So I started off talking about Tiger Eyes, which if you have not read any Judy Bloom books, I mean, I don't, <laughs> I'm going to give lots of impassioned recommendations because that's how I am. Um, but I really think that every human person ought to read In the Unlikely Event by Judy Bloom, because it is her masterpiece. It was her last book. It is a book for adults. Please don't give that book to children, uh, maybe teenagers, but it it talks about a lot of the things we feel and go through, and you know, Judy herself has been through similar things to what her characters go through, um, but I would say please read it because it's great. It's so good. I mean, it took her four years to to write. It was a labor of love for you, the reader, and for me, the reader. And thank you, Judy Bloom, for writing it. I really love that book. Okay, so now we're going to talk about something that's going to make me cry again. (laughs) I know, why? Why Why do I have to do the hardest things? Like, why can't I make a podcast about uh, how amazing... Princess Leia is like that would be easy and I could do it all day and I probably wouldn't cry very much I might cry a little bit but um I want to talk about something that happened two years ago that changed everything for me and it was when my father-in-law died suddenly as the result of a skiing accident Um, my husband and I were living in Greece at that time and we were very close with his father. Uh, I miss him so much. But I realized that after I took a break from writing, that I wanted to write about those feelings that I was having because that's how I process things. I I wonder, you know, if, if you're the same, if you process things by writing. And so... I was writing a story that is still not published. I maybe will publish it soon. I don't know. Um, But it's a sci-fi romance. And in it, the main character's father has passed away. And I wrote it that way before this accident happened. But when I came back to it eight months later, I realized I want to talk about this more in this story. And so I did that, and it changed the story. My editor was like, what happened to this? This is not what you told me it was going to be. And it made it rich. And I I started using it as an example and using pieces from that and talking about it with other writers. And every time people were like, that was the most powerful part when you talked about your father-in-law and you talked about the story that the, that had inspired. And... I realized, you know, those were my expensive words. Those were the words that came out while tears were coming out and snot was running down my face. And I was writing with a box of tissues. And they resonated with other people who have experienced loss. And if you have experienced loss, you know what I mean when I say this. If someone hasn't lost someone that's close to them, they say all kinds of... (laughs) things that let you know, oh, you don't know what this feels like, and it's uncomfortable for you that I'm talking about this very raw, open pain, and so you're just using dismissive comments to get away from talking about this painful thing. And some readers might be like that when they're reading your expensive words, but there will be other readers who know and they're journeying with you and they're rooting for you and for your characters and you're touching a part of their soul that needs to be ministered to that needs to be addressed and that is why i wanted to do this show and that is why of course i write the stories that i write and since we're talking about since we're talking about expensive words i thought I would talk a little bit about my debut fantasy novel, Plunge into Darkness. And the the reason I wrote that book was because I saw these women, you know, not, I didn't see them every day. Sometimes I only saw them once or twice a week, but I watched them. And they were, they are real superheroes. And When my husband and I were living in Greece, we worked with people who had been rescued out of human trafficking, and that means that they were learning how to have a job and have a life where their livelihood, their ability to make money and pay rent and buy their children food wasn't dependent upon them being used as an object anymore, and If you don't know anything about human trafficking, it's a lot more common than you think, and it's awful. And I'm really a big proponent against objectification, including pornography use, um, because it leads to high demand for this evil, just pure evil thing where, you know, there are customers who want to use other people as objects literally and it's it's the ugliest thing it's awful but so i watched these women adjust from living in a brothel to being on their own having to uh work with an actual boss who didn't wield power over them and they were really struggling and i thought why doesn't someone tell their story? And in that, I also thought I need to tell my story in observing them because there should be more people observing them and cheering for them and supporting them and letting them know that they are seen and their efforts are are noticed and that they are doing the, their, their best is good enough because a lot of times they struggle with basic things and they feel ashamed and they need someone to remind them that they don't have to feel ashamed anymore. So that's what Plunge Into Darkness is about, and it's a really difficult book to read. And I've had people tell me, um, I loved this story, I love the characters, but I would never want to read your book again. (laughs) And some people might take that as an offense, but I think that means I did my job because I made them uncomfortable. I made them think about things they didn't want to think about, but I did it in a way that pulled them in and showed them something that was hard to see. And they were willing to do it one time, but they might not be willing to do it again. And it reminded me, uh, okay, let me backtrack a little bit. So every year for my birthday, I buy myself, I mean, I get presents from other people, okay? But um, I buy myself a book, and I let myself read it. And it's a book I want to read. It's not a book for a client. Uh, I didn't didn't really introduce myself properly, I guess. But I'm a copy editor and what I'll call a story engineer, which is basically a developmental editor or a book doctor. So I read books all the time. And sometimes I'm fixing these books. And so that means maybe I don't have a lot of time for leisure reading, what I would call leisure reading, because even if I'm reading something that's not for a client, it's usually nonfiction so I can learn how to do something new so I can tell you about it or um, someone who's read one of my books. I'm constantly gathering information so that I can do things better and I can teach better. Um, But so. I decided that I was going to buy Blake Crouch's Recursion because on and on the in the I don't know in the Goodreads competition, uh, the Book of the Year competition, Recursion beat out TMR. Oh my gosh, I can't say this book name, Math's Wrath, <laughs> which is the most recent book in the Expanse series, which is by James S. A. Corey um, which I love. And I, I also want to preface that that is an adult, that series is for adults. It's mature. Um, because I know I will have younger listeners at some point. And yeah, if you're 15, you probably don't, I don't know. I don't think you are ready for the expanse series, but, um, that's, that's for you and your parents to decide. I totally got sidetracked with that. Oh, so I wanted to see what is the book that beat out this amazing, I mean, just amazing book by James S.A. Corey. In that book, they do something, Tiamath's wrath. they do something that shocked me and amazed me. And I don't want to spoil it for anyone, but there's a really significant time jump and it was just done perfectly. All the things that should have happened did happen in a good and in a bad way. And I couldn't believe that it didn't win for science fiction book of the year. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to get recursion. And I got a hardback, which I am very careful about money. Uh, I think that that's something that you'll get to know about me pretty quickly. I just want to be wise with it. So I don't normally buy hardback books, but recursion was not out in paperback yet. And so I bought it for myself. And I read it in like in three days, which is not abnormal for me. But in around Christmas time, I'm busy, like I'm making stuff for people and I'm working on projects. And this year I was quilting pillows made out of my father-in-law's clothes for his sisters and for my husband. So, uh, yeah, that was happening. But. I read this book in three days, and I sent my copy of my book to um, one of my besties, Maria, who's also my editor, by the way. Although she says now that she's my proofreader, now that I have gone through copy editing school. (laughs) But anyways, I sent it to her, and she's like, oh, I'll send it back to you after. I said, no, don't send it back to me. And she's like, why? And I said, I don't ever want to read it again. And she's like, what? And I'm like, no, you have to read it. And I know you're going to love it because she's like a really intense Looper fan. And this is a, I mean, not like Looper the movie. I mean, sorry. Okay, I retract everything I just said, Maria. Don't don't hold it against me that I did that wrong. She is a very big time loop fanatic. And this book is a time loop book, Recursion. And so... I wanted to send it to her. And she's like, well, why don't you ever want to read it again? And I'm like, just read it and you'll see. And so she blazed through the Julie Andrews memoir she was reading so that she could get to recursion. And she read it and she said, I see what you mean. And I read an interview with Blake Crouch about recursion. And he said that the things that he went through in order to be able to write that book were very difficult and that's and that he wasn't he didn't want to talk about it past that and i can i feel you mr crouch i feel you you are a prolific writer i'm sure you'll never listen to my show but uh i i could tell i mean i knew i knew when i was reading it i knew that he had gotten all the hard parts just right and that meant that he had gone through something awful. And he was willing to share that part of himself with me and with you and with every reader. And because of that, the story was just, I mean, just perfect. There's a tiny plot hole in there. And if you ever want to know what it is, maybe Maria will write about it because she found it. But besides that, it is a prolific work. It's amazing. I'm glad I read it. And I never want to read it again at the same time. And I think that when you write about difficult topics and that happens to where someone reads it and they're like, amazing, never want to read it again. You know what? You did your job. When you write and you make the reader feel the way you want them to feel, whether that's good, happy, or whether that's sad and depressed, like past sad then you've done your job. You did it. Congratulations, writer. You did what you were supposed to do. You made the reader feel something. And sometimes those feelings are intense and readers don't want to feel them again. And that's okay. That doesn't mean you failed. That doesn't mean that, you know, I just want to say this and I hope that you will take this and value it for what it is. Not every book should be a perennial bestseller. Not every book should be a perennial bestseller. We all want perennial bestsellers, don't we? Because we want to we want money. We want to be able to buy groceries, right? I mean, right, it's not like we're like I want a private jet. No, we want to be able to buy groceries and to keep our electricity bills paid on time. And so we want perennial bestsellers because that guarantees that pretty much. But that is not why we write. That is not why people read. And sometimes there will be books that they touch you at one point in your life and then you guys are not going to stay friends. You're going to both walk separate ways and the book is happy and you're happy and that's okay. And there are perennial bestsellers that are written with expensive words and the author has poured themselves out so that the reader can understand and experience those emotions and those experiences. But expensive words are good. Expensive words cost a lot, and they're not always going to transfer into book sales. However, I will make you this promise, and this is the point, this is the soul of this show. If you spend yourself and use expensive words in order to benefit your reader and to talk to their souls, you are going to earn fans. You are going to have loyal people in your life that will read any book you put out. This has been Kristen on the Expensive Words podcast, pouring out my heart for you, my wonderful listener. If there's any question you want to ask me, if there's anything you want to tell me, you can go to expensivewords.com or you can find me on Instagram at kristen.n.spencer, and I would love to hear your wonderful writing thoughts from your amazing writing brain. Happy writing.